You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode three of The Fallout. Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Super excited to bring you another episode this weekend. Drew, I gotta ask though, has hello, hello, hello become our thing? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode three of the podcast. Yeah, I think it's our thing now. It sounds it's good. It's definitely our thing. It's got a I, ring I to kinda it. I kind of like it. Kind of <laughs> like it. So it's definitely our thing. But you know what's really our thing? Live sports. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what we had last weekend? Live sports. We did, did you watch any of the Tiger Phil Brady Manning thing? What a fun match. It was so fun. That's just straight fun. Like there's no other point to it. I mean, Brady's out there joking around with Chuck on the mic. Just having fun, and, and then hold, he hits and one in. out. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that was a great moment. But it's just for fun. And Phil afterwards says, "You know, we should do this every year. Why not?" He's right. It's so. Oh, it's so fun. He's absolutely right. And would it get the same audience? <laughs> not in quarantine, probably not. No. But still, the most watched live golf event ever. <laughs> That's crazy. Ever. That's crazy. So it, it was fun, and people liked it. That day also had the first part of the Lance doc. Give me some thoughts. It did. I mean, we, I think, were both a little not impressed. You know what? It's our it's our own fault <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. we're trying to compare it to The Last Dance, which, like we mentioned, is the greatest sports documentary of all time. Yep. And it's not fair to have to follow that up. No, it's not. But at the same time, I had to watch it in two parts because I fell asleep after that first hour. <laughs> it just was not all that interesting to me in that first hour. And then this it picked up in the second hour, admittedly. And so I have hopes for part two this weekend. But that first hour was tough. What, what bothered me was just they, they're doing it so linearly that I don't. a lot of people don't really care about Lance Armstrong until he was 16 years old, and right? I, and I guess that's stuff's important to know. It is. But it, it also, it is. it's not what I'm there for. And if you're going to make a documentary like this, you want to keep people engaged, you got to give them at least a teaser for what they're there for. And I guess they sort of did, but like not really. It's a, it's a different kind of documentary than The Last Dance, obviously with 10 episodes. But uh, what The Last Dance did with the timeline, I think is genius. And I think they awesome. could have employed that somehow in this documentary. But the first hour that was a tough watch. I know I had to get hella stoned to get through <laughs> that first half of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I fell asleep. <laughs> it, it, it was it was tough. I, I was passed out. Um, I woke up and the doc had finished. I'm like, what happened? But no, it, the second part was better. I'm still um, looking forward to part two. Me too. I mean, it's the whole interesting part of his career. So let's not let's not push it out yet. It still could be good. What else have you been watching so far in quarantine? I'm on the hype train. Avatar, Last Airbender. <laughs> I'm so in. I haven't watched that show since I was like 16 years old. I've been waiting for the day it came back to Netflix. Already on season two, halfway through. I started two days ago, I think. So that's 30 episodes. <laughs> that's impressive. What about you? We're going to cover the two bases of the Netflix blow-ups in quarantine. You had uh, Avatar, and I'm going to cover Community, which has become my... <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> has become my favorite sitcom ever. I mean, I mean it's awesome. I think it, I can say that you're welcome for that, right? Can't I? You and uh, another friend... I both, think it's just me. Yeah. Both recommended it to <laughs> me. Um, and you were both right. It's an awesome show. It's so good. I'm almost done with it. I've tried to slow down because <laughs> I don't want to finish it. It's, it's like I don't know what I'm going to do when I finish it. 
I think I can one-up you with, like, the greatest show of all time. Oh, God. <laughs> I turned on Cox Cable this morning, saw on Sprout TV, it's like the baby channel, some, like, uh, Hello, Mr. Wiggles, but it wasn't the Wiggles, and it's a bunch of kids dancing in a circle, like, yeah, da, 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 and I was dancing with my dogs for, like, five minutes watching it. What are your thoughts? <laughs> the dumbest <laughs> sequence of words I have ever heard come out of another person's mouth in my entire life. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. So we have a super exciting show for you guys this time around. We're going to start with some talk about the NBA and resuming the season, who that helps, who that hurts. We have a great interview. Our standout this week is Jawan Kim, lacrosse player from Emerson University. We're going to hear about not only his play on the field, but a lot about what he does off of it as well. And then we're going to wrap things up with a discussion about the favorites in the NFC and AFC East. So let's jump right in with the rollout. Today's rollout will cover the possible resumption of an NBA season and some of the talks that they've been having trying to get that season underway. And what it includes, what's interesting, is it includes some sort of playoff format with likely 20 to 24 teams. They've been calling it a playoff plus format, whatever that means. Um, And what we're hearing, what we're reading, is that it's going to feature a play-in tournament for teams the bottom at the bottom of each conference maybe and teams who are currently outside of the playoff race and trying to get in yeah it's still pretty vague at this point they're having a lot of votes with team owners and team managers and stuff like that to decide what exactly they're going to do with this playoff format but i want to discuss today what teams are going to benefit most from this uh like teams that were out of the playoff standings or in the playoff standings possibly that will benefit from this break and from this new format the most uh, for me, I'm I'm going all the way with the Pelicans. Uh, to me, Zion coming onto their team gave them a huge spark in the last 20 games. He played 19 of those 20 games, over 500 since he joined the team. They were way under 500 when he joined, 17 and 28, and now they've been over 500 since he started playing. That's huge. 10 and 9, just saying one game <laughs> over 500. But. Still over 500, that's a big jump. Um, in the bottom of that Western Conference, in the bottom of either conference, honestly, playing over 500 basketball is a pretty good. It's it's a good benchmark, and that's a good sign. If he if they're going to be playing against teams at the bottom of their conference in a play-in tournament, I give them very good odds, given that they've played over 500 ball the last 20 games. I hear what you're saying, but I think there's an obvious answer here, and it's a team that's been underachieving the entire season. It's the Portland Trailblazers. It's a team with no defense. It's but. I'm going to get to that. (laughs) So what this break does is it lets Joseph Nurkic not only become healthy, but become all the way healthy. Dude's had two months now to continue rehabbing. He was about three days away from coming back when the NBA season ended. He was going to come back on March 15th. Season ended on March 11th. So four days, I guess. But point remains, he was right on the cusp of coming back. Now he's had even more time to continue rehabbing, more time to get in game shape and the big thing here was people were worried about what it's going to look like once Joseph Nurkic gets into game shape. Now, no one's in game shape. So the fact that he's not in game shape really, really helps them. And not only that, people don't realize how good of a defender Joseph Nurkic is. Over three defensive win shares each of the last two seasons. And one of the better players in the league when you look at their impact on the court um, Portland's offensive rating when he was on the court, offensive rating just covers how many points per 100 possessions the team is likely to score. And their offensive rating with him on the court was 118.5. You know where that would be in the league this year? I think that's first. Number one in the league with Joseph Nurkic on the floor. 
So this team is a team that went all the way to the Western Conference Finals last year and gave the Warriors a run. They really did. So they've been underachieving all year, and it's because of the loss of Joseph Nurkic. I see there being two clear options here, and we picked them. I think it's just between the Blazers and the Pelicans is the two best options here. Blazers getting healthy, and the Pelicans having this element, Zion, this I don't even know what to call him, just a beast, just an element on the floor, uh, adding a new aspect to their team that has made them an over 500 club. What I do want to point out is, how much do you think? How much value do you think Nurkic is really going to add on the floor? And before you answer that, I want to give you this: Zion led the team. Zion led the Pelicans four games in a row in scoring at one point this oh, season. Four whole games during that stretch. They played the Blazers twice: once at home, once away, and won in blowout victories both times. Now, if you think Nurkic coming back is going to make a difference, you're absolutely right. He's great offensively and defensively for them. But do I think he's going to make up, a, what was it, a 21-point deficit? We can, we can talk about... I don't believe in that. We can talk about before the break all we want. It's who's it going to help after the break. Sure, but I, so, I'm saying it's not going to help them enough after the break because Zion took the Pelicans to a level. First of all, that's that an isolated incident. Nurkic is inc- not going to be able to bring the Blazers to. Isolated incident. One of those two games, Damian Lillard didn't play. Still won by 13. And the other one, he didn't play. Still won by 13 on the road. And at home, when Damian Lillard did play, they won by I'm, 21 just, at home. I'm going to be frank. Damian Lillard should win most valuable player in the NBA every single year because you take him off the floor, and that team is just not good. But with him on the floor, they're very, 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 very good. He's and a top five same, MVP candidate this year, right, honestly. And, he, and yes. he should be. And it's the same with Nurkic as well, like I just said. I mean, their stats go up offensively, defensively, in every single category when – He's on the floor. But can he so, make up that difference that I just listed? I don't think so. You forget just how good the Warriors were last year. I, no, I, mean, I don't. <laughs> this, this is a I Western know they're not Conference the same team. Finals team, right? Yes. And what's the missing piece from last year? It's Nurkic. But to continue on, I don't really care about those two games because they happened before the break. And A, and B, it's not a head-to-head matchup that we're talking about. It's who does this new playoff format that gives teams a chance benefit the most. I I don't understand how it can't be a team like the Portland Trailblazers who A, has the playoff experience, and B, is clearly underachieving all year long. I think it's the Pelicans because they weren't going to be a playoff team without this. Zion had been bringing them back faster than anyone could have asked him to into a playoff spot, but they weren't going to get there. Given the rest of the season, they weren't going to get to a playoff spot, I don't believe. It was just too much ground to make up. This gives them the opportunity to play in the playoffs, and they were playing at a playoff level. Before, before quarantine started, they were playing at a playoff level, over 500 ball against some good teams. Now you're saying it's not going to come down to a head-to-head matchup. If this play-in tournament is between all of the lower-seeded teams in each conference, I don't see it finishing in any other way other than a head-to-head between the two best teams that aren't currently in playoff seeds, well, the Blazers we, we and don't, the Pelicans. We don't know how it's going to look. We don't know. They might not have to play. We don't know. Because if two teams get in, I like both of their chances. But I could definitely see it coming down to that. And I'm going to I'm gonna allow that head-to-head to be part of the argument here because if that's going to happen, who's going to win? I'm going to take the Pelicans. I disagree. Because of the playoff experience, because of the big game experience, name a better player over the last five or six years in big games, Damian Lillard. I don't think you can find one. I mean, think about all the big shots that he's hit 
over and over and over again. I think these two teams with Nurkic on the floor are pretty comparable, I'll, I'll be honest, but I think Damian Lillard is what takes him over the edge because who do you want taking that last shot? A rookie who's never been there before or Brandon Ingram or Damian Lillard? I still it's think Damian it's... Lillard. And the other thing, too, is even with the addition of Zion, the teams still have the same record and were playing relatively similar basketball in their last 10 games. Blazers were 4-6, and six, Pelicans were 5-5. Five and five. So that's before you get Nurkic back. Nurkic just tips them over the edge. They have the exact same uh, record and win percentage. I'm still looking at that head-to-head that they had those two games in the, the four-game stretch. The head-to-head doesn't matter no, because here's Lillard why wasn't there and Nurkic wasn't there. That's false because Lillard was there in a game that they got blown out in. Now, Nurkic, it's, was it's, Nurkic it's there? incredibly was important. Was Nurkic there? Yeah, no, obviously. Exactly. But it's incredibly, so what's the point you're it's making? incredibly it's two important. Different teams. Incre- the, you're the saying you're, you excuse me. Are clearly excuse two me. Teams. You just said Damian Lillard pushes them over the edge. Damian Lillard was in a game where they lost by 21 points on the road. What I said was with the combination of Joseph Nurkic. Oh, so he's going to add a 23 point deficit. He's going to make that much of a. De- he almost did last year. It's, I mean, he's not going to bring them back from a 23 point loss to a win. That's not how good of a player Joseph Nurkic is. That's not how that works, and you know that's not how that. I works. mean, it it kind of is. No, you it's add not. one player no, to not. the roster, and all of a sudden they win a it's game not. that they lost by twenty three points. Adding one player to the roster, there are like changes, five players in the, the league capable flow. of doing that, it changes the game flow to a point where the strategies are different. Willard only played twenty eight minutes in that game that they lost by twenty three. Um, Lillard, I guarantee you, if Nurkic is there and it's a closer game, which we would agree, it would be a closer game. Absolutely, he's not playing twenty three minutes. Uh, or 28 minutes, and C.J. McCollum played less than 30 minutes. Anthony Simons got, like, almost 30 in that game. I, I mean, it's it was a different game where the Blazers, yes, they were getting blown out, but with Nurkic there, I am wagering that they would not get blown out, and they would be at least in the game to the point where they'd probably be winning, I'm just saying, but they'd at least be in the— it's a hot take. They'd at least be— in the game to the point where Damian Lillard is on the floor for more than 28 minutes. He's playing 36, 40, 42 minutes. And so 28 minutes of Joseph Nurkic plus 14 minutes of Lillard plus 14 minutes of McCollum plus 14 minutes of Mello. Here's one important thing. You can make up 20. Here's one important points. thing to point out. First of all, I got a couple things to point out. First of all, we don't know what the format is, so it's a if it's a best of fill in the blank series between the two teams or between how whichever Take teams Willard are playing. Time. It's it's harder to tell how the minutes would go though, because if you have a one game format, you're gonna throw your best players out there the entire game. If it's a series, you can't really afford to do that. And here's where we will agree on something. Are you ready to agree? It's been a while. I don't know if we're gonna agree. <laughs> where we will agree is that the Blazers do not have a viable sixth option. They do not have a good We're bench. talking about sixth options now? No, no, no. I'm when talking, was the last time you watched a playoff game? We don't need sixth options in a playoff game. I'm talking game. about their bench at all. If you're in a series and you need bench guys to perform to some level, they don't have those guys. Do you, 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 you agree with that. You absolutely agree with that. They do not have any good bench players. Well, you have to keep Anthony in mind. Anthony Simons will get his minutes. He'll get like 20 minutes in the playoffs, and that's too many minutes for Anthony Simons to be playing. The addition of Nurkic pushes that roster back. So, I mean, they still just, don't have a sixth guy, it, though. You're probably pushing Melo to the bench, and all of a sudden, Melo's a pretty good sixth don't, man. I don't see Melo getting pushed to the bench. I don't, I don't know if they trust him to play the three anymore. Either way, I'm okay with Trevor Reese off the bench, too. Another great three and D guy. I would so, not say great at this point in his career. Since he got to Portland, he's shooting 40% from three. 
So I, I don't know what more you can ask from Trevor Ariza and push him to the bench. That number is probably going to go up um, because his shots are going to go down. <laughs> but either way, we're just excited to see these matchups because it not only gives lower teams a chance, but it also means that the NBA is back and live sports are back. And that's what we're sitting here waiting for on our sports podcast. Give us something to talk about. Exactly. <laughs> Zion Williamson signed a shoe deal with Jordan Brand for $75 million, the largest ever by a rookie. So our standout athlete today is Jawan Kim, a three-year starter for Emerson Lacrosse, who has some interesting stories about not only his time on the field with a rebuilding program, but also his time off of it working for ESPN. Describe a little bit of your journey from McLean Youth Lacrosse to Emerson. Wow, from McLean Youth Lacrosse. um it's funny because I I didn't really think of lacrosse as like or I didn't take it as seriously especially like compared to now um basketball was my main sport like growing up and besides soccer because everyone kind of played that but it was kind of at first for me like a different sport to like get in better shape like it did help me get faster and so I kept on playing and it was fun and it has similarities to basketball, which is why I felt like I was able to get success from it. But so, you know, in high school, sports in general, they get more serious. So I took it more seriously then. And once I hit like freshman year, played well, you know, I, I came off a pretty, I mean, relatively strong basketball season for myself. But I fig- kind of figured out that I was better at lacrosse than I am at basketball. I kind of figured out like how good I was at the sport and what I like looking back, what I didn't realize was like, I was 145 pounds, hundred like tops 155 senior year. And to me, like weight wasn't a big thing. Like if anything, I was like, I don't want to get fat, man. But like looking back now, I'm like, how the hell was I just like playing defense against guys like Justin, like Justin Gibbons and Alex Morris. Like I got pulled up for playoffs my freshman year. And so I was going up against these guys during practice, obviously not in games, but then sophomore year is when I, started playing more and I started I guess I was starting by like midway through that season and so I figured out I had you know pretty solid chance at going to college for this so focus on academics focus on recruiting a little bit more and um, got really lucky with Emerson honestly Um, not because they're great lacrosse or anything because when I got there especially (laughs) we sucked (laughs) so it wasn't for the lacrosse reason I just found it to be it aligned really well with what I wanted to do after high school and lacrosse was kind of like a little bonus, you know, and it's worked out really well since then. So can you talk a little bit about that? When you got to Emerson, you knew that it was going to be a rebuilding program. How does that change your role from the beginning, uh, both in a leadership aspect and an on-field aspect? It's definitely, definitely different. Um, Especially coming from, uh, what I had experienced at McLean, like sophomore year, we got to, we were like one game away from States. That was the best team that like we've ever had at McLean. Um, I've already mentioned Justin Alex, uh, like we had really good players and going from that to, you know, a program that just hired their head coach like a year ago. So I, what I like when I did my visit, that's what I had seen. It was like a year of work pretty much that the program had put in. So like I've started, Every game since every game that I've played, I've started since freshman year, which is tough, you know, like that, that's a lot of responsibility, a lot of expectation. Um, but you really just kind of kind of have to embrace everything that's going on through all the ups and downs, like a lot more downs, obviously. But looking back, being able to see all the progress, it's it's 
don't know. It, it makes feel good. <laughs> Simply put, it, it makes everything feel worth it at the end of the day. On that note of progress, I know you've been talking to me for a while about how you knew the program was be- rebuilding. Uh, now that the season got cut short this year and it's your junior year, you're about to enter your senior year, so you feel like it's later stages of the rebuild. How do you feel that this affects your rebuild going forward? It's a good question. Drew, I've, I've told you before, but we lost, uh, like one of our teammates passed away in the fall. And so this is a big season for us just being able to, you know, play for Dan and, you know, just because he was a great kid and, you know, we want to. We were kind of getting into a groove. We felt like if we could get on a on a run during this mid portion of the season, we could build up some steam going into some conference games and, you know, make into the playoffs. But obviously we're all in the same, like every team in the conference, every team in the nation obviously is in the same boat. So what I feel like is what gives me hope and some optimism is that we lose, like we don't lose anyone coming into next year. We had one senior this this year and he's come back. As far as I know, he's come back. And so I'm looking at all these other schools, MIT, Babson, Coast Guard, Springfield. Those are teams that lose back-to-back senior classes. And next year, coming into next season, we only add people. We only add talent, and we only get better, bigger, stronger. So can you talk a little bit about your goals for next season? Is that, your, is that kind of where the goal is for completing the rebuild? It seems like that, that's what you said. Yeah, it's it's a tricky balance because we feel like we're much better going into next season, but at the same time, like we haven't accomplished anything yet still. Like that was supposed to be this year where we, you know, make the playoffs and maybe win a game or something and then the following year maybe we have a chance at the title. But you can't just go from yeah, our goal is making the playoffs to yeah, we want to win the New Mac championship. You can't just flip it like that with all this going on. You still have to in my mind, we still have to win that first playoff game obviously and like make the playoffs before we even think about the championship but I feel very confident in our ability to win a new MAC title if that comes into play so let's transition a little bit to some of the stuff you do off the field because that's one of the things I always appreciate about division three athletes it's more than the play on the field it's even more sometimes what you do off of it so I know you've worked with ESPN and high voltage in the past can you talk a little bit about that D3, Agate mentioned it in the first episode, but, you know, it's a lot just like for the love of the game. You know, we have, there's no athletic scholarships. So you could commit somewhere and then like after a year, just like stop playing lacrosse and there's no real consequence besides, you know, not playing anymore. Um, Emerson offers just tremendous opportunities, like the facilities and like all the equipment that they have, um, along with like professors and other mentors that you can just like talk to and you know, learn from is, is huge. And coming into freshman year, again, basketball is my main sport. So coming into freshman year, I started joining this organization called Emerson Channel Sports, which I have until like all this happened. And like next fall, I'm in LA, besides the point. But so I started doing that in the fall. And then once basketball season hit, I like really started to try and get into that. Like after actually playing a sport and like maybe coaching, producing or directing live sports is like the most fun thing, in my opinion. It's just, you can prepare as much as you want. You can be ready for all the different shots or different types of angles that you want. But at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen. And so it's a lot of on your toes and just kind of reacting and like basing everything off your own instinct, which is kind of pretty much how sports works too, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, you've talked to me a lot during games that we watch on TV, uh, like NFL on NBC kind of deal, where we look at the scoreboard and you make fun of the formatting, uh, or you'll see a camera shot and say like, "Oh, it's the terrible, it's a terrible time for that shot," or you'll say, "Oh, it's been too long since the play was dead. Where's the replay? That should have come in quicker." Stuff like that. Uh, and I think it's really cool to watch a game with you while you're doing that. Just looking forward, do you have a specific direction in sports television production that you really want to take your career towards? Or is it just all of those facets right now really interest you? I'm, I mean, everything really interests me and definitely not trying to close any doors, I guess. Um, what I've said in like interviews is just like, I want to be in some kind of role as a producer. Like I'm open to being a director, but just like anything in a control room, obviously. It's it's kind of interesting, though, because like live sports, because it's not like the network does not decide the schedule for any league games. It's based on those leagues. So those games are all freelance. Like they're all kind of it's there's the job stability wise as far as like when you picking your hours and stuff like that. Not as ideal as like a studio show where it's just kind of, you know, show up that day and do your show, get out, whatever. So in that sense, it, it's tough because like you go for like the stability first and then kind of like earn your way towards like live sports, I guess. I just always think about, um, and like you guys definitely can understand, but like I think about growing up and like watching games, um, those big time games. For me, I I wasn't able to like watch games like during the weekday. So like those come back from church and like the Sunday NBA on, on ABC games, those were like my favorite. Uh, so I always think about that and like for what I want to pursue. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, can you talk about how you got involved with ESPN? So like what you've done for them and where you see it going maybe with ESPN, just go a little further. Sports industry. I'm, I'm sure it goes for everywhere else, but it's just like who, you know, so like I had a coworker of mine, Eric Dyer, he worked a couple of football games and or Boston college football games, um, which are like produced by ESPN or whatever. So they need an extra guy or two. And so then he hit me up like another friend of mine and I, you, you just like, can't say no. You know what I mean? Like once you say no to one of those opportunities then they just stop asking because they just need people who are available and like that they can generally trust. So I show up, tell them I, I know how to coil a cable, even though I didn't, <laughs> but I learned how to. <laughs> and so I just kept on doing games at Boston college. One of the biggest ones was there was college game day, 2018. They were hosting Miami, I think. That was a cool game. That was a lot of stuff going on. And then, like, the last one I did was, like, it was at Harvard against, like, Brown. Yeah, that's been really cool. And the Harvard game, I was a skilled utility, so I was able to – I worked, like, two days, a uh, lot of hours, but I learned so much just, like, working next to these guys who do this, like, who have been doing this for, like, years and years. And so just learning all that tech stuff, I guess, pretty much. Uh, really helpful and just being able to talk to other ESPN people and kind of showing that you know what you're talking about is I think huge. Talking a little more about connections that you made at school and at ESPN, you guys have some awesome speakers and professors over at Emerson. Uh, you bring in some awesome guests. Uh, do you have a favorite guest or mentor or professor that you've had at Emerson? I mean, my easily favorite like professor slash mentor that I have had is Charles Coughlin. He used to work at ESPN, NFL Network, a um, little bit with the NHL. His like first Super Bowl halftime show was the was the Prince Super Bowl halftime show. So like he's got the experience. He's very personable and just 
always like available to talk like I still text him every now and then and like we lately during this corona thing he has set up like these zoom meetings with like a bunch of his favorite students pretty much so yeah that's he's probably the number one guy and he brings in uh, he loves name dropping guys it's so funny but like his best his one of his best friends is like Chris Fowler so he's come in on a, as a guest speaker a couple times yeah he's got plenty of stories he's a great guy I mean that's a lot of stuff, right? I mean, you're working at ESPN, you're, you got classes and you're an athlete. So how do you balance that life? It's tough. Like sophomore year, I freaking killed myself, dude. I was working too much. I like didn't really realize that until the whole thing with Dan happened, to be honest, because the night that that happened was, was the last night that I worked a game. It was the Harvard game. So when that all happened, I decided for this for the spring semester that I just wanted to like leave myself some time. So I just decided to work on like one show, Good Morning Emerson, which is like weekly. So it like keeps you occupied, but it's in the morning. So it gives you time during the day and just focus on lacrosse in school. And I was on a great, great track like during the semester until all shit went down. But I'm very fortunate to have a super understanding coach and Coach Colin Beanie who lets me get out of practice or leave a scrimmage a little bit early or even miss a whole game to work a show, knowing how important these things are to me. And the ESPN internship that I was supposed to have this summer, um, I had to do like four or five interviews. That that shit was like, that was a grind, honestly. I, and sometimes I would have to remind myself, I was like, this is worth it. <laughs> this is the ESPN. So <laughs> I should keep on doing these interviews. But I was supposed to do one interview like during our spring break which we were in Philly and right when I told him he was immediately like trying to help me like figure out like a quiet place that we could go while the rest of the team is like at the museum. We didn't have to resort to that, but that's just, I'm very fortunate to have that kind of person um, as my coach. I think that is a unique aspect of D3. Like you were talking earlier, I bet that's not quite the case with D1 sports. Uh, Having a coach that's understanding that you have another career path, honestly. So I think that's really cool. Well, thank you so much, Jawan, for coming on to our podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Jawan Kim. Give it up for Jawan Kim. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, dude. Really appreciate your time. No, of course. Thanks for rescheduling. Shout out Bobby, by the way. So Jawan really shows, I think, what D3 sports mean in a broader sense. I loved how he talks about how his coach understands that there's more than just lacrosse in Jawan's life. Yeah, that was really awesome. Uh, I think it's really cool that Jawan has furthered his sports knowledge into his career path. Uh, something that I know a lot of minor league baseball players like to do when they get out of minors and they go and coach baseball teams. It's like Jawan is playing lacrosse primarily for fun. He said for the love of the game. Uh, and it's cool to see him take that knowledge of sports into television production. Because of their location in the center of Boston, Massachusetts, Emerson routinely hosts practices of NBA teams such as the Philadelphia 76ers. So each episode for the next four episodes, we're going to preview a part of the country, a.k.a. NFC or AFC East, and then we're going to go across the country and go division by division and give you our predictions for the NFL. So this week, we're going to start with the NFC and AFC East. Let's start in the NFC because I know we have crazy differences there. Yeah, we do. I believe that the Cowboys still can't win the big games, and that's going to be the difference maker in this. I got Eagles on top. Eagles on top all the way. Carson Wentz doesn't even have to be the Carson Wentz of two years ago. It's just that Dak can't win the big games. That's all I got. I think it was more that Jason Garrett couldn't win the big games. Jason Garrett is gone. Um, Mike McCarthy, I understand the doubts. He struggled at the end with 
uh, Rodgers, but people forget how good he was at the beginning with Favre and Rodgers. And he, no matter which quarterback was in his system, for a long time there, the Packers really, 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 really good. So insert Dak, and I think that team's going to go to the next level. So I'm blaming the big games on Garrett and giving McCarthy the credit. Dallas goes 11-5 and five and wins the division. You're right about Jason Garrett. I never liked the guy as soon as he stepped into the league. I thought, honestly, he's not going to win Great anything Great offensive big. mind, terrible head coach. I agree. Here's the thing about McCarthy. McCarthy deserves a lot of credit for leading a lot of teams to a lot of playoffs. But he was given two of arguably the best quarterbacks of all time in Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and won how many Super Bowls in how many years of coaching? One. One Super Bowl in 12 years of coaching the Packers? We're not talking about Super Bowls. Maybe 13 years? We're talking about divisions. You're right. But I'm just pointing out that the Cowboys do not have a caliber of quarterback close to Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers. Dak could be great, but has not proved that yet. McCarthy has not won as much as he should have with those quarterbacks. And I think that's something important to point out here. I hear you, but he never had a problem making the playoffs and the weapons around Dak, both offensively and defensively, considerably better than what he had for most of his years in Green Bay, especially at the end. Especially at the end. I will give you that. What I think you're discounting too much, though, is the fact that Dak is clearly a tier or two below, especially Aaron Rodgers. A tier or two below Aaron Rodgers. So he's making McCarthy's making the playoffs with Rodgers, not winning any big games. We're not winning any Super Bowls except for one. But I don't think he's going to make the playoffs with a quarterback like Dak Prescott. I really don't. I don't even know if it's that I'm buying the Cowboys. It's more that I'm selling the Eagles. Fair. <laughs> I, I, I just I, I, I think the Cowboys can be a really good team. Nate, we both agree, like on paper. They are really, really incredible. They should have made the playoffs last, last year. year. On paper, absolutely, especially in how bad the NFC East was. The NFC East isn't that much better than it was last year. Nope. The Redskins did get better. So did the Giants. The Eagles, I know some people disagree with me on this. I think they got worse, not better. I, I think when you talk about the Eagles, you have to remember how big of a presence Malcolm Jenkins was, not only in that secondary, but also in that locker room. That's hard to replace. And I don't see anything they did to replace that. And I get the whole thing with the receivers. They were hurt last year. They're healthy now. They added Jalen Rieger. Um, But they're an Alshon Jeffrey injury, which has happened a handful of times before, or a Deshaun Jackson injury, which has happened a handful of times before from having essentially the same receiving core that they did last year. Which wasn't really a problem for Carson Wentz. I want to point that out, too. I mean, he was good. He wasn't great. Here's and, the thing. And I, I Here's think the, the thing. addition of I think the addition of McCarthy makes it so you need Wentz to be great to win. Which I think is possible, first of all. I think we both think it's possible. Do we think it's going to happen? Not quite sure. I'm not quite sure I have that trust in Wentz, and you would agree with that. But I still think Wentz can win big games. And I have not seen Dak do that in his entire career. I think career. that's coaching. I, I really think the it coaching, coaching because because think about it. Garrett with Romo couldn't win big games either. So, so I think that's coaching, whereas uh, McCarthy and those Packers teams won big games in the regular season, and they won a Super Bowl. I, I understand, like, we sit here, we say only one Super Bowl. That's nothing to scoff at. But with one of the greatest quarterbacks of our generation, if not the greatest, discounting Tom Brady. But a much worse defense, a poor receiving core, and just not, you know. Did like, not like, have a poor receiving core during those years, during, during the Super Bowl run. I mean, he had Greg Jennings and Jordy Nelson in prime. They were good, but they weren't necessarily top, top tier guys. Like, like you think about it, 
how many times did that stack come up during the NFL draft this year? How many quarterbacks have, or how many wide receivers have they drafted in the first round? Even skill position players. Like before Jordan Love this year, you know who the last skill position player they drafted in the first round was? I mean, there's a reason Rodgers called Rogers. them out. Yeah, it was Rodgers, yeah. right? So they haven't done a whole lot to help Aaron Rodgers, and it hasn't mattered. Speaking of no run game, I am super excited, to be honest with you, to see what McCarthy can storm up with uh, Zeke in the backfield. I mean, he made Aaron. He struggled with Aaron Jones, but Aaron Jones is not Ezekiel Elliott. We can agree yeah, we on can that. agree on that. Yep. So we disagree there. We have the Giants and Redskins well below those two teams. However, bottom dwellers. <laughs> so now let's switch over to the AFC East, where I know we have a little bit less disagreement than we did in the NFC. Yeah, I'm taking the Bills all the way. I mean, same here. Patriots still got Belichick. You can't discount them from anything. But look at the Bills, what they did last year, and look at the Bills now with a much easier division. I'm taking Bills all the way. I think Josh Allen takes that step. I think you feel the same way. Yeah, it's going to be a fun year for Bills Mafia up there in New York. Um, I have them at 11-5. and five. You have them a little bit ahead of that. I actually have them 13-3, and three, which is shocking to me. But going through their schedule, I just think they handle the big games. And it's not that tough of a schedule. Nope. And like you mentioned, that division is not as good as it was last year, because there's no Patriots. There's no Tom Brady Patriots. With that being said, I have those Tom brady list Patriots going 10-6 and six and sneaking into the playoffs. I do as well. It's, it's, it's really, really hard to keep Belichick out of the playoffs no matter what. And their defense, I know it's, it's not going to be quite as good as it was last year, but it was historically good yes. last year. It's still going to be really, really good to the point where I would be shocked if they didn't finish with the number one defense in football. And I want to flash it back to Belichick's time with Matt Castle at quarterback, the year that Tom Brady matter. tore his ACL. It, it did not matter. matter. They did, granted, they didn't make the playoffs that year, but what was their record? 11-5 and five with Matt Castle, who was a failure as a starting quarterback for, I believe, the Chiefs. Yes, yes, and... and who knows if it's going to be Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer. I know I just said Jared Stidham or Jeez. Brian Hoyer, and that's scary, but they're high on Stidham. Like, you got to trust Belichick a little bit here because there's a reason they didn't go out and sign an Andy Dalton when he was available or a Cam Newton who's still available, right? Part of it, cap space, whatever, but they could have made that work if they wanted to make it work. Also, just got to keep in mind the two bottom teams in the division, like other divisions in the NFL, the two bottom teams in this division are just, I don't think, any real contenders at all. I don't see the Dolphins or the Jets making a run for the playoffs whatsoever. Not to make the playoffs, but one place where I know we disagree, I actually have the Dolphins taking a pretty big step forward this year. Do you believe in Tua? Is that why? Even if they don't start Tua, Ryan Fitzpatrick did a pretty good job last year down the stretch. People forget they went 5-4 and four in their last nine games, and nine games is a good chunk in the NFL. That's a good sample size to go with. That and, you know, they did that with Kalen Balage and Patrick Laird playing running back. They've addressed that. They're a lot better with Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. I still think, I mean, you got to admit, they're going to struggle. They're going to have their struggles. On both lines, they're going to have their struggles. Their defense, I would argue, is one of the worst in the NFL. Underrated defense, you- and they added to it. I, th- I find Jones, that surprising. Pickup. I find that surprising. I think teams just didn't really go at them last year, to be honest. It's just like a bye week is facing the Dolphins. Uh, that 5-4, and four I think, is fluky, and I don't see them really taking the step forward. I also really don't think that Tua will make an impact this year. I don't think he's going to be ready he given he his injury. Yeah. Given his injury and the fact that they still have Fitzpatrick available, I don't think he will make an impact. And you're right. He might not play a game. But adding Byron Jones to that secondary that's already talented is going to make it a little bit scary, if you ask me. But at the end of the day, we still got them 
not making the playoffs. No, seven no. and nine. No. I'm, I'm not saying they're world beaters, but seven and nine is not bad. And then poor Jets, man, five and eleven. <laughs> we both have them five and eleven. I I was telling Joey the entire day today. I'm high on the Jets this year. I'm really high on the Jets. I think they're going to take that step forward. And then we did this exercise, and then we looked at their schedules, and we were like, uh oh. <laughs> Like Darnold could take that step forward and still go five and eleven. Yeah, it's gonna be not a ton of fun for the Jets, I don't think. No, but go Bills, right? Bills being good is good for football. That fan base is good for football. So much fun. So that's it for the NFC and AFC East. Next week we'll move to the NFC and AFC North. So look forward to that. Got some good debates for that one. Spoiler alert: might have a couple Super Bowl teams in there. We'll hmm. see. Bill Belichick has a record of 219-64 and 64 with Tom Brady at quarterback. He has just a 54-63 and 63 record without him. So we're going to have a closeout today of some rapid-fire questions. Let's start with an obvious one. Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott? I got Dak. I think he's going to have a monster year. Carson Wentz can win the big games. Easy. Rookie in the year in the NBA, assuming the season's over. I hate to say it, I got Ja. Got to be Ja. Zion didn't play enough games. He was good in those games, but only played 19. Over under 1.5 playoff games won by the Bills and Patriots combined out of the AFC East. I'm going under. The Bills win one. Patriots don't win any. I got the same answer. It pains me to say it. I got the Bills at 13-3, and three, only winning one playoff game. Not their year. Pick your side on this one. MLB owners or players? I got neither. Get your shit together. Totally agreed. Someone has to be the bigger person in the room. Someone do it. I don't care who. We need a season. NFL MVP pick right now, hot take, Drew Brees. Hot take, Tom Brady leads his team to Oof. the division title, 12-4. and four. It's all him, baby. NASCAR on Sunday. Gonna watch? Absolutely not. If I wanted to watch people turn left, I'd go to an intersection. <laughs> I can't even argue <laughs> with that. I got nothing. So that's all for this week, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We have an awesome episode lined up for you guys next time. We'll continue our whip around the country of the NFL divisions, and we also have a great interview that we're looking forward to. And maybe this break in between this episode and the next will actually bring some live sports back into the world. Who knows? We'll see. One can only hope. You've been listening to The Fallout. Thanks for tuning in.